SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. Those um, man-eating hairballs that you do not believe in. Yeah, what about them? Well, I am reading two life forms. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is Alex. They call it Critters 4. They're gonna eat some more. They should have left it be at Critters 3. And Thrasher. I am not permitted to divulge classified information to unauthorized users. In the poster, it says in space, they love to hear you scream. That's not that funny. It's a takeoff from the alien in space. No one can hear you scream. But I do like this poster. I remember the videotape at the Blockbuster I worked at. A big planet, and you get these critters kind of behind it, like they're laughing. So I want to just want to point out, there's like four critters in that poster. I don't think we ever get that many critters on screen at any one uh, time yeah. in this movie. There's See, an awful the... lack of critters in this film. <laughs> you got the cool poster. I got the lame one. It's literally the same image from Critters 3 with the tearing through the poster, but oh. it's just got this, like, generic space backdrop. And it says, Critters 4, they're invading your space. <laughs> yeah, there's that one, too. It's, um, I mean, there's so many different versions on home video. They keep changing the cover art because they don't want to pay the, uh, uh, the rights to the old cover art, often, is the reason. You know, the slogan should be, like, prepare for lunch. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. Or hey, um, this Angela Bassett. Yeah, and Brad Brad Dourif, a genre favorite. Yeah. Is this is this the movie with the most? Is this the Critters movie with the most famous people in it? Feels like it. Yeah. It, yeah, definitely. As Which Terrence so... Mann comes back, Angela Bassett, Brad Dourif, and Ramsey, and Martine Beswick is the voice of Angela. Who is Benswick? Oh, she Martine was from Russia with Love. She is, um, basically, there's, like, two schools of thought. If you're a big Hammer fan, you're either a Raquel Welsh person or a Martine Beswick person from One Million Years B.C. Oh, that's true. Yeah, she was um, Sister Hyde in Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Um, and she was also in um, Miami Blues, Thunderball, uh, Melvin and Howard, great Jonathan Demi joint, mm. From a Whisper to a Scream, and an awesome Sergio Carbucci movie, A Bullet for the General. You know, despite the cast and despite the fact that this is set in space, I feel like this is the cheapest of all the Critter films. Oh, definitely. I believe the budget was the same as Critters 3, from what I understand. Um, and they mostly filmed them back to back. Yeah, back to back. And, or actually shot, yeah, the shoot was from February until July for both of those. And uh, they came out a year apart. So this came out in 1992. A new Lame Home video. It has a running time of 105 minutes. It feels a little bit long to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Might even be the longest Critters film. I think um, you're right. Um, or at least out of these first four that we're covering on the show. Uh, and it, the beginning does, I guess we'll say, what, when did we first see this? I first saw this for the show. I always meant to rent the Critters series when I could rent stuff for free at Blockbuster when I worked there. But um, I just never did. Um, Thrasher? I probably didn't see this until 93 on cable. There was a period there was a period where Critters 2, 3 and 4 were often run together, especially on like USA and the Sci-Fi Channel. So I saw this a lot back in the day. And Alex, I uh didn't see this until last night in preparation for this episode. <laughs> um we had uh we had the critter set and we started it a couple months ago and we watched one and two and, and, and thought they were just a great deal of fun. But then with uh this thread of episodes we 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 just recently watched three and four. And um what was your kind of initial impressions? I, I thought that 
it really reminded me of the production values of like Homeboys in Outer Space or <laughs> Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, like kind of kind of those mid tier uh, straight to cable. Uh, it, series. it has a syndicated, made for TV look to it. Actually, some of the interior details, and I would not be at all surprised if some of these sets were reused from other sci fi movies. But it kind of reminds me of the original film version of George R. R. Martin's Night Flyers. Have you all ever seen that? No, no, but I've heard, yeah. Yeah, like where it's clearly science fiction st sets, but like deliberate choices were made to make every set look like it was part of a different spaceship, so it creates this warped sense of geography. Here, it's just like they used whatever sets were available. Yeah, you know what this reminds me of, initial reaction, is that, you know, you have like um, like alien spinoffs from uh, the Corman guys. It's like you've got Forbidden World and Battle mm. Beyond the Stars and yeah. uh, Galaxy of Terror. Critters 4 feels like the spinoff of Galaxy of Terror. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there's, you know, Alien, Galaxy of Terror, Forbidden World, and then Critters 4 is like the offshoot of the offshoots. Yeah, and Forbidden World is actually pretty fun, but yeah, this oh, yeah. this movie wants to be Aliens so bad. <laughs> oh, it definitely does. It, it feels like the script is going in one direction, the director took it in another direction, and... The, the there was no room for critters in either. <laughs> yeah, they forgot yeah. to put the critters in this critters movie. Pretty well, I mean, but that, I think you know, kind of the the money went seemed to go towards the sets or maybe the actors because, as we said, it's better known names. I think it has to be the actors. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about how cheap this is. First, we see a lot of special effects shots reused from previous movies. So, like mm -hmm. the bounty hunter ship that shows up at the end, it's the same model from earlier, and I'm pretty sure at least a few of the rare scenes of it flying through space are reused shots. The shots of Earth from orbit, that's a reused composite shot from Critters 1, but they just change what's composited into it. In this case, well, that, that compositing in that shot's really sloppy. Like, yeah, the, the ship looks really bright, <laughs> and, you know, there's no sense of uh, lighting. I mean, it is space, so to speak, but... Well, it looks it looks like from a video game of the era, like that looks like the cargo pod you would pick up in yeah. Wing Commander Privateer. <laughs> yeah, the, and like uh, Angela. Oh, sorry. Well, well, there's two. There's two other like big ways that they save money. So one, the space station this takes place in, that is a reused space station. That space station was originally built, and it was actually built out of a watch display from a mall. It is the space station from the late 1970s sci philosophical sci-fi movie Android. They just straight yes. up reuse the model. There's uh, a lot of overlap from Android, and some of the um, some of the cast and crew and creative team actually had to deal with Klaus Kinski via Android. And of course, you know that's always such a pleasurable <laughs> experience dealing with Klaus Kinski in any situation. And one one last thing, um, very early on, we do get two new critter puppets, the baby critters, which are actually pretty fun and nicely articulated. But one of them very early gets the hair off the top of its head, blasted off with the laser. I think that is exclusively so they could reuse the bald critter puppet from Critters 2. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. It's interesting. So I guess I'm going to be comparing this a lot to the the Corman Alien knockoffs, which movies that are movies that I love, by the way. Um, but it's funny, though, like Angela Bassett and Brad Dorff, especially they weren't exactly like new kids on the block. Like both of them have had a pretty sustained film career. I mean, Brad Dorff came out of the gate with Cuckoo's Nest and, you know, those John Huston joints, uh, Dune, Mississippi Burning, Child's Play, obviously. And Angela Bassett had already cut her teeth with John Sayles with like City of Hope and stuff like that. So they weren't like new kids on the block. So that had to cost something to get them in there. Well, well this strikes me as the thing that they filmed after they filmed their big breakout role, but before their agent was capitalizing on that big breakout role. Like like Kirsten Dunst in The Crow 3? Yeah. I have to say, you know, this actor I'm not uh, terribly familiar with, but as uh, Captain uh, Rick Buttram or, or butt ram, if you want to pronounce it that way. That must have been a. That, that sounds like a a joke, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Played by Anders Hove. I mean, he has a very interesting kind of scummy look, and he did some of the subspecies films, and was even in an episode of the second season of the uh, um, Danish uh, King, Kingdom series. Oh, Kingdom! Sorry, I was thinking and, of Tales from the Crypt. And uh, the, you know they're working on a, a third season of Kingdom, Alex. 
No way, really. Yeah. So. With the the Lars von Trier joint. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. So I'm so excited. You just made and, my day. and uh, for those that don't know, Kingdom was the inspiration for Stephen King's short-lived Kingdom Hospital. And uh, what a weird adaptation, but that's a whole other story. Antibus. Yeah, Anders. Uh, uh, yes, that. yes, a lot of absolutely. Sans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and speaking of jokey names, Brad Dorf's character is Al, last name Bert. Uh huh. I know. It even yeah. says that in the credits, like and Brad Dorf as Albert Bert. <laughs> the thing, <laughs> the thing is, though, names like that do often happen in the wild. Uh. It's rare, but it it's happens. Rare. Yes. Yeah. It happens, you remember. Yeah. No, You've I got press... like a yeah. Jack first last name son, you know. I, I actually I I was in first grade. There, there was a, a, a friend of mine was Michelle Mitchell. Not bad, not bad. Oh. I yeah I I did data entry for several years with the primarily medical files, and so you'd see literally ten thousand different names a, a month. And the funniest one was uh, Peanut Butter was the kid's first name because they loved peanut butter so much. Wow. Another one had Strawberry, oh. which was equally unusual. But <laughs> if, if, I, if I may say, Anders Hove as Captain Rick Buttram, the uh, captain of the Tesla, and this was made back before people were just masturbating all over Tesla's name and putting it everywhere. Oh. So mm. I, at the time, that was a deep cut. But... His behavior is so inexplicable. If you told me he was not working from a script, he was just making the character up as he went along, I would believe you. And that's oh, what totally. makes it interesting to me, though. It's he, he's he's kind of the only person taking it seriously. I think a lot of the other performances are kind of jokey, and there's some jokes in the script, but they kind of fall flat. Especially the stuff with the kid, I can't stand. Oh, he sucks. Ethan is is just really oh. poor. Um, yeah, I mean, well, he like, has the 90s mop top thing, but... Well, yeah. I feel like they think they need a kid to bond with Charlie, because that's happened in all the other movies. Right. Yeah. But, like, he's he's not... Like, he's not... He's too old for that, because, like, he's... Right. He's, like, what, like, late his late teens? He's old enough to be an apprentice technician on a starship. Well, so he's not a, really a kid anymore, and that, that doesn't really work. And also, but, if they're doing this kind of, like, gritty, alien-esque, blue-collar space, you know... Yeah. Prime thing. There's absolutely no reason why there should be a kid on board, unless it's like a like a newt thing from Aliens or something like that, where you have well, like a rescue or something, you know. Well, I kind Otherwise, of dig the idea that he's an apprentice, and that kind of does explain his youth. He's you know somebody who's out of high school, is not going to college, is probably learning on the job because you get free travel effectively. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Later, but but these space assholes are such big assholes. I cannot <laughs> believe they can function as a crew. How they didn't all kill each other before this point, I do not know, because they all seem to hate each other. Yeah, and they all seem pretty, like, shady. I mean, you've got, um, it's funny because you had Leo in Critters 3, and then you have Leo from Twin Peaks. Um, Eric DeRay, am I pronouncing that right? Uh, I, I believe so, yeah. He, with the, you know, with the ponytail. He's, yeah. um, he's okay. You know, like, frankly, what I've seen him in, he's by far the best as Leo in Twin Peaks. He also has a role in the pilot for Sequest, which is really distracting. Oh, I can only imagine. And um, the the oddly directed by Monty Hellman, Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Oh, I didn't know he was in that. Okay. Such a strange film, but that's another conversation. Um, I mean, so, I mean, let's start at the beginning. You know, as we recall last week in Critters 3, it, it has a really poorly done teaser. In the beginning of this one, I didn't have time to double check. Is it the same footage or is it new footage? It looks I believe, like it. Uh, with with the exception of the tracking shot that goes over all of the the rubble in the basement, it is the same footage. Yeah. Got it. So I, they're just I like killing the time. In three. You like the what? I, I like the teaser in three. It was um it was strange, but it worked for me for some reason. And the laser effect I thought was not bad. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Um and I like that. Um, Don Keith Opper is like kind of, is basically the lead in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, it takes a bit for him to show up, but yeah. 
Well, that you know, actually, I did some t- I did some timing. So, so yeah, so we see the footage that ended the previous game, the previous movie, where there's only two critter eggs left, and he gets a message from Ugg that he can't uh, they can't make the species go extinct, so he has to put it in the survival pod that gets dropped through the apartment. Um, so this time, because the pre the the other film it ended with the pod crashing into the basement of the of the apartment. This one we, we continue. Charlie puts the critter eggs in coffee cans for, t- I probably to make them stand up because I bet they wobble a lot, but they don't fall down. <laughs> and we see him crawl into the pod. He puts them into these receptacles, but then the pod closes and fills with gas, so he's trapped inside. And then we just cut to uh, we cut to Critters Three, and we see that pod like flying away from the Earth. So the pod launched itself, which makes me wonder, what did all those rescue workers and survivors see when that pod crashed into the apartment and then blasted up into the sky? Yeah, I know, right? But After then everything we, that went on. But then we jump to the 2040s, and he gets picked up by by a, a salvage crew. I I checked the timer. It is 35 minutes before Charlie comes out of that pod. Ah. So they so spend their sweet time introducing the characters, which on the one hand, you know, I, I do miss that a bit about older movies is that you're not like going balls deep into the action constantly right off the bat. You get some character moments. But on the other hand, this is Critters 4. This isn't a science fiction TV show or, or, or uh, you know, if Critters wasn't on the title, perhaps I could forgive it a bit more for well, dragging yeah. a little bit. I, I I don't mind the slow build, and I got I gotta, I got to admit, for all this film's flaws, it has the occasional ambitious moment, like the after the opening credits, it's like this long zooming away from stars, and then we see something flicker in front of the screen. It finally zooms in this like really neat spinning shot where we see that it's the kid juggling these globes of the Earth in his cabin, and like that's that's an ambitious shot. This movie doesn't quite pull it off, but I respect the ambition of trying to do this long tr- dolly out through space into the kid's cabin where he's juggling yeah. the planets. I like that you point that out, Will, because like I was excited for this because the, the a part three teaser, you know, the Galactic Federation and that, you know, you can't destroy the last of a species and stuff like that. So I was pumped for this. So I'm, so I'm like, all right, we got some space action. We're, we're going to be more sci-fi, maybe less horror this time around. And there's really not much with, like, the Federation in this. It's Like you said, like, well, we, we get introduced to these goons out in, you know, the middle of nowhere, and they're kind of boring. And we get some character building and stuff like that, but, like, I mean, let's face it, like Angela Bassett, Brad Dorff's character, and um, that's like really about it as far as like interest level went for me. Or you well, the say? Te- well, the Tesla crew, they, they, scoop, they scoop up the pod for the salvage rights and they find the old Galactic Council insignia. And it turns out the Galactic Council dissolves. And I guess the Galactic Council dissolved minutes after the survival pod left Earth <laughs> because they never bothered to pick it up. It's just been drifting. So, you know, we don't have to worry about the Galactic Council. We're never going to see them doing space stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think, and... like, the amount of time it took for the Critters to come is, like, I, man, I remember you had a complaint about Critters 3 and that it just took too damn long to get to the Critters. And that's kind of how I felt with this one because I just, I didn't find what was going on on the Tesla all that interesting. And, um... There is one scene on the, the Tesla that... Kind of struck me almost as like a, a Paul Verhoeven kind of scumminess, where uh, the Angela Bassett character is taking a. This is a PG thirteen movie, mind you, but Angela Bassett's taking a shower, and uh, you see a butt. You see a butt. You see a, butt. You see yeah. a, uh, a silhouette, which is a classic PG thirteen uh, kind of nudity workaround. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, either her or her body double, and the uh, the the creepy ass uh, Captain Buttram goes in. Uh, fully clothed, oddly enough, to try and <laughs> seduce her, and she kind of tricks him and then punches him in the mouth. And it, I, I thought that was kind of a neat scene, although having the boy in there uh, being like, what you doing? And the captain's like, this is man <laughs> stuff. I know. Is, is, is kind of weird. Also, you have uh, the whole rest of the crew seemingly like going in there laughing at the captain getting punched in the face. So 
clearly he's tried this before, if not with her, with someone else. And like everyone could still see her her naked body, at least through the silhouette, or maybe even perhaps into the shower. Like maybe uh, it's a more enlightened time, and people don't care as much about that sort of stuff about uh, privacy. But it it just struck me as kind of a, a an interesting sequence. I don't think it. It was weird because their their reactions that makes it weird because it's like oh. Oh, Captain, up to his old tricks. I'm like, I think he was trying to like rape her. Yes, <laughs> like that's, I guess, not like a prank or anything. Well, like, you know? once that again, how the hell do they function like as a crew? Right. Yeah, I know. I I but, think um, thinking of the performances, Brad Dorif, I, I like to make him kind of nerdy in here. He, yeah, he is so routinely good, and everything he's in, I am like a card carrying Brad Dorif fan. I'm always excited when he pops up in something. Um, I guess Angela Bassett too. And also, it's like when she kicks his ass, it's like, and that's what you get for fucking with Angela Bassett, you know? Like mm-hmm. she's just a badass right out the gate, and it's uh, she's still carrying that torch now, which is uh, hats off to you, Ms. Bassett. But you know, they 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 reach out to since there's no Galactic Council, they reach out to like a T Core, which I guess is the mega corporation that runs the galaxy now. And Tico's like, oh, we've been trying to find this pod for years. Go to this, our nearest outpost is a decommissioned station. We'll send a retrieval crew. We will pay you triple the regular rate. Cash, we trust your discretion. And so everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. They're going to be a payday. They go to the they go to the decommissioned mm-hmm. station, which has two, two features. One, it's decommissioned because its reactor is slowly melting down. And like in a month, the whole place will be flooded with deadly radiation. In the end, it will just explode for very little reason. But, like, the AI that's running the place is kind of broken down. They have a, a really, they have a moment that I will say is kind of genius, where they're trying to get information from the, the station's AI. And it's like, no, I cannot, I cannot follow the orders of authorized users. So they order it to not do the thing they want it to do. And since it can't obey, since it can't obey an order from an unauthorized user, it then has to do that thing. Yeah, they're they're kind of doing like a howl variation. It's yeah. like a it's like a parody howl thing. It's it's kind of funny. I did appreciate that. And and there's an awesome like glitch graphic that plays on the screen every time they order it to do the opposite of what they want it to do, which I really appreciated. There's some fun there's some fun old timey computer graphics in this. But you know, after after the whole shower scene, the captain has a rant and takes a laser rifle and starts using it to cut into the pod. That wakes up Charlie. Turns out the critters have hatched. Oh, oh, this is also after the captain. The kid finds the captain. The captain beats the shit out of him and hangs him from a hook. So I guess ah. he's going to go full Cenobite later. Yeah. Um, the captain then is attacked by two baby critters, and I love those baby critter puppets. But again, it's one of those things where they they must have there's something they clearly wanted to do but did not have the budget or skill to do it. Where one of the critters is eating his arm, the other critter jumps into his throat, and we even see a shot of the critter trying to crawl down its throat. Clearly, they wanted to do a chest burster scene. Clearly, they wanted the <laughs> critter to climb all the way down yeah. into his belly and then burst out. But they don't. We instead we just see the little feet wiggling out of him. The, the, ca- the captain dies, and from that point forward, we get an old-fashioned critter hunt. Although they do end up discovering that this base, they were conducting biological experiments to create a weaponized organism. Uh, and the one they were working with was these spiders called cephaloids. Hilarious name. Um, and that, But the cephaloids can't breed. It's like, well, we need, we need something, we need genes from an organism that does all this stuff and also breeds quickly. So, of course, that's the critters, and that's what T-Core really wants. And because there aren't that many critters in this movie, we don't get too much critter action. It's like mostly like the when we get a rare critters like moment, it's like usually a one-on-one fight. And we don't see too much of the critters, although we do get a nice tribute to the Star Wars garbage compactor scene. Yes, definitely. Um that was definitely a standout moment. I was like, oh, that's not like Star Wars. Ho, ho, ho. Even the even like the garbage looked like Star Wars and another AI fun scene where it's like, you know, jettison garbage. And they're like, no, don't jettison. They're like, I will not comply with the orders of refuse. Oh yeah. Like as if garbage would speak. It's just obviously set up for that line, which is which is fine, you know. But but anyway, so so we just sort of wait for people to get picked off one by one by off-camera critters. We do, we don't really get a true critters frolicking massacre until over an hour into the film. Uh, eventually, T Core and their goons show up, and then it turns out the chairman of T Core is in fact Ugg. 
who's now a villain. Yes. Uh, he had a whole transformation off screen we didn't get to see. And I, part of me wants to think, like, did Ugg, did Ugg sh- shapeshift into the chairman and replace him? Or is or is Ugg legitimately the chairman of T-Core? And does, does Earth know that T-Core is run by an alien? That's what I was wondering, too, because the, the Ugg, evil Ugg, I guess, um, uh, I guess I wasn't really expecting that, but... I mean, yeah, they it's a twist for the sake of being a twist and to bring back another character. It it is completely unmotivated, though. Yeah, totally. I want to give a shout out here to the uh, director of photography, uh, Thomas L. Calloway. He I think with the budget he has and he also was the DP on on Critters 3, the lighting, I think, makes the sets look a lot better than they would otherwise. It helps. It it helps. And I mean, he this guy's, you know, been a DP for looks like over 100 uh, films. Um, a, a lot of direct-to-video, you know, like an early thing he did was like Slumber Party Massacre 2, but um, he hey, even does like kind of recent stuff, uh, happens to be a lot of sequels like uh, Punk's Dead, SLC Punk 2, or Deep Blue Sea 2, or Tales from the Hood 3, I didn't even know there was a second one. Um, so, I mean, they, uh, he, I think he did a really good job with uh, this film, and I think it, visually it looks much better, and... Uh, then and it seems to try harder to build some kind of suspense as compared to the more um, kind of goofball Critters 3, which didn't quite work for me. Yeah, see, the, the creative crew behind these movies are routinely working pretty well and doing some pretty w- great work. Um, yeah, cinematography is good. The lighting's good. Um, you know, you can you can see the you know the the phrase on the edges with some of the sets and everything. I mean, it's a low budget sci fi horror, whatever. Um, but for what it is, it looks pretty damn good. You you know, a design flourish I really really loved is that the stateroom they stay at in the space station, it's all astroturfed. Oh yeah, the, the carpeting is artificial grass, but the up facing surface of all the furniture is also artificial grass. I, I I kind of feel like with this is that like they're it was filmed back to back with Critters Three and you know they're obviously you know pinching pennies at this point, um, but I feel like if there was like a year in between Critters Three and Four we would have had two much stronger movies. Quite possibly, and and I think the lack of Charlie in both movies I feel like. Well, the reason he's not in Critters 3 that much is because he was filming his scenes from Critters 4. The reason he's yeah. not in Critters 4 so much is because he was filming his scenes in Critters 3. Exactly. Which, which they didn't need to do. They could have they could have scheduled things better so that we get a bit more we get a bit more Charlie. Um one thing that I do love, and this is like uh, um they, they never explicitly state it, but the Tesla is clearly fueled by liquid helium. Because there's this like fuel hose they plug in, and they later use that fuel hose in one of the really good sequences. They get attacked by a critter, and they shove the fuel hose into the critter, and it mm. flash freezes the critter. And we do get a really awesome shot of them just shattering that frozen critter. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, the helium uh, propulsion system is interesting. Uh, it's a it's a, it's a strange film because I, I I feel like there was a lot of like wasted opportunities though. I mean, you could really go. There's a lot of like I, I feel like there's a lot of potential you could go with like the mini critters and just the whole all the stuff in space. You, there's a lot of of of, of room to play there. Well, but, but also. Um, it, like the critters get access to the 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 laboratory's metabolic accelerator, which they've been which they were using to make adult cephaloids to make like the critters all instantly adults. They keep forgetting that critters can also grow to giant size. We should have gotten at least one giant critter brought about by the metabolic accelerator. Yeah, and also wasn't there that like a room of drugs that um, mm-hmm. not Leo was into? That would have been fun to see like high critters. I think. You know, it would have. Or at yeah, least at like, least to see those puppets downing pills. That would make a great yeah, gift that, today. You could do you could shoehorn in like, you know, a kind of goofy like say no to drugs kind of you know what I mean, like thing. I think also there's a missed opportunity. You have an extended kind of jokey sequence about the uh um the voice activated computer with the elevator. Oh like yeah. why not why not involve that in a kill somehow? Like maybe it squishes a critter. I mean we don't have that many critters to work with is the thing. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, like you said, there's more critters on the poster, and I think the only reason why there's four on the poster is because it's critters four. 
Yep, yep, yep. Whereas I think three would have worked more better because it just looks asymmetrical. But but it's it's it all comes to a head because T Corps goons are killed by the critters mostly off screen. Most of the Tesla crew has been killed, and it's just the kid and Angel the Bassett, and now you know Charlie. And finally, you know, Ugg takes uh takes the kid hostage. Hi, I'm Ray, and this is my friend Alex. Hi. And we do a show called No More Whoppers. Do you want pins and stickers? Because we don't have them. Like a broken keyboard, we're out of control. Check it out. You got Wah Wah Wah, Poet Hojo. How about a No More Whoa? Join us every month or so on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hello, my name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm inviting you to listen to Our Three Cents, a weekly podcast where myself and two of my very best gaming chums are counting down our top 100 favourite video games of all time. For all the episodes and information, check out our website, www.our3cents.co.uk. And, there, and early on, you know, when when Charlie recognises Ugg, he's like, well, why are you in charge of these goons? Like, things change, Charlie. And then, of course, you know, when Charlie's with the kid, Charlie's like, well... Things change, Ugg, and he shoots Ugg in the in the head, which again, like, why not? I wish we could see his face like unshape shift and melt after he's shot. And like, I think we're supposed to care that that Ugg betrays Charlie and Charlie kills Ugg, but it's such an out of nowhere set of character turns that it, like it, it right. falls kind of flat, and it also means you can't do anything cool with Ugg later. It should there have been a sequel to this. Yeah. But you know, in the end, because Charlie with the antique Smith and Weston that they were care Smith and Weston, they were carrying on the Tesla when oh, he shot course. the critters trying to escape on the Tesla, he destroyed the flight controls. So they escape on the T Core shuttle. And and once again, everybody's treating Charlie like he's incompetent. He's been flying alien shuttles for years. Right. They're like, don't touch anything, Charlie. So after they launch and the space station explodes, Angela Bassett and the kid just kind of leave Charlie alone on the bridge. And Charlie sits in the captain's chair, and he actually gets this nice moment where he pulls out a set of sunglasses we haven't seen all movie, puts it on, and then says in this very serious voice, Captain Charlie McFadden. <laughs> like, that moment of him just kind of playing around, I loved so much. Yeah. And then he presses a cheap-looking red button, and we get a reused special effects shot that's sped, that's sped up to make it look like the ship is banking out of control. Yeah. And then we just get this twangy guitar music over the credits. That's it. Yeah, it was so the the, the Charlie Ugg showdown. Um, I like I like the Charlie character because throughout, like he had his arc in the first and second movies, where you know he, he gives he's not on the sauce anymore and he, he's more of a badass, but he's still kind of like a bumbling man child. You know what I well, mean? Well, he's still a goofer. He's, yeah, he's still a total goof, but like he has these like random moments of like heroism, and it and I think it totally works like in this one and the last one. But um, but yeah, the showdown with Ugg, I was like, hey, that's that's interesting bit of business, little you know, a little showdown between mentor, you know, like a I guess like a surrogate father, uh, Skywalker, Vader, you know, dealy. But I also thought it was kind of funny is that like so you can just shoot the critters with a pistol. You know, so it makes mm-hmm. his like intergala- intergalactic space gun from the past three movies not uh, kind of invalidating a little bit, but um, but yeah, it was a funny bit of business. But the the showdown with Ugg was like, I felt like that was supposed to be like a big thump, and it was more of like a little push. Even if they would have had you know more scenes cutting back to Ugg as, as like a kind of threat, or maybe he's doing something suspicious. Because just to have them be there for a bit in the beginning and a tiny bit at the end, you don't get that sense of, uh, it doesn't make that payoff work quite as well. It's literally like he shows up and says, like, oh, I'm evil now. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I'm sure it was fun for the, the actor Terrence Mann that played Doug to, to kind of be a baddie in one of these. But it's still, eh. Okay, I mean, so overall, any last thoughts on Critters 4? I think I've I've said my piece. Yes. <laughs> I uh, think um I just like one more bit of like missed opportunity too is when Charlie finds out that like 50 years have gone by. And again that's like a that could have been another interesting thing to explore and we don't really touch on that. And yet this movie goes on for 100 minutes when it could have been like a slim 80 minute film. Okay, um, I change I change my mind. So yeah, Charlie like coming to terms with the fact that you know fifty years have passed and that everyone he knows is probably dead, uh, which even then should make us care about Ugg's return because that's someone he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, the the kid 
keeps having this like my father's on earth like they he mentions his father being on earth so often it just makes me wonder were we supposed to find out that charlie was somehow his grandfather or something like I, yeah they, they refer back to it so much you think it's going to go somewhere but it just doesn't it would have been so easy to do that literally like two lines of dialogue boom done there you go you've got an interesting plot turn Certainly. I, I mean, I look at it, the science fiction setting with the kind of like the, the cheap um, late 80s, early 90s aesthetics, I really enjoy. I think that is inspired. And I think it tries harder than Critters 3. I give a sequel yes to Critters 4. It's it's not great. I would not show this. I mean, or maybe this would be a good idea, I suppose. I would not show this as a date movie, but maybe you can show it to them and see if they're into shitty sci-fi. <laughs> but I, I think it's... I, I had a bit more fun with this, and I, I, I'm a sucker for um, spaceships and especially AI that talk a lot and how it's... Sassy AI. Sassy, yeah, that's it, sassy AI. I'm, I'm a sucker for it, so this kind of had me in the bag. Um, Thrasher. As many things, this movie has has a handful of good points, a lot of bad points, and while I appreciate like being able to pick out all the reused material as an intellectual exercise, this film wastes a lot of time. Of all the Critters movies, I gotta give this one a sequel no. It's fun to analyze, it's fun to dissect, it's fun to find those things, but just as a movie, it's there's too many missed opportunities, and it's it's just, it's not that good. This feels like a, something that would be on Joe Bob Briggs. <laughs> I probably was. Yeah, yeah, actually, that or Up All Night. On, uh, oh, it yeah. definitely was. <laughs> and Alex. Um, the thing is, is that there are some fun bits. Um, I like the cast. But like I said earlier, it's like you had a script in one direction, and I feel like the director wanted to take it in another direction. And then the critters just kind of fall in the middle occasionally. And it was just kind of hard to get into it. Um, I I'm like on the verge of sequel, yes, because I've I've had a lot of fun with the series and I'm kind of invested in it. But like, I don't think I'm gonna be watching this again anytime soon. Like maybe on a completest level, just because I have the set. But I'm gonna have to unfortunately go with the sequel now, even though it's a it's a close one for me because there's uh, there's some things I do like, but. A lot of wasted opportunities, and it just it felt way longer than it should, and I think it was way longer than it should have been. Um, gotcha, and also, enough. this is a very unhumorous Critters film. <laughs> but yeah, that, no, that, that's a fair criticism uh, compared to the other ones. I did a quick look on the Internet Fan Edit Database, oh, IFDB, no. and there is not a Critters for uh, Fan Edit. Maybe I need to get to work on that. Because yes, I think <laughs> with, with some tightening up, I, I don't know if the world is asking for it, but they, they rejected my Mario Brothers movie fan edit, but maybe <laughs> they'll accept... Uh, by reject, I mean you're just not put in their database. <laughs> they actually yeah. have a review process, believe it or not. But yeah. Okay, so on the subject of USA Up All Night, uh, I can now confirm from an from a, a movie... Uh, from, from a movie episode list... Uh, they showed Critters and Critters 2. It looks like they did not show Critters 3 or 4 on USA Up All Night. Mm. Probably didn't want to cut into the lucrative home video sales. <laughs> there you go. So now, mind pick... you, what I have is a partial list because it's hard to track a lot of data sure. about, about USA Up All Night, a show that was never meant to be rerun. So <laughs> it could have, but it did not leave enough impact to make it to the partial list. Although if you go on YouTube, you can find some of the bumpers, which are kind of fun. Um, oh, they're great. And a few whole episodes. Oh, how about that? I didn't know that. That's cool. Uh, yeah, so... I talked about that last week with the vampire on Bikini Beach. That's a movie right. I cannot recommend, but I can recommend watching it with the Gilbert Godfrey host segments. <laughs> Gilbert improves most things, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, so I mean, on to what you're watching. Critters 4 is in space. So if I was doing a, a Critters 5, I would have it be, I would maybe have it take place in uh, on a planet that's all ice. It, it wouldn't be Earth, it'd be an alien planet. Kind of, I would lean more into the science fiction films, just like this one did. 
and uh, you know, all this, there would be kind of like an igloo settlement. It would be kind of like the thing meets critters, right? That John Carpenter remake and uh, a, a critter um, colony is, is frozen in the ice and it gets uh, unfrozen through um, pomp and circumstance and kind of a crew gets eliminated on the ice and the big twist in the end is uh, the the critters that are reawoken get on the computer on the arctic base on this planet and reveal that near the core of the planet are uh, millions of critters ready to be hatched you know it would be called critters planet and the the tagline would be ice ice baby <laughs> What killed the dinosaurs? The Stone Age. Shit, the Ice Age. <laughs> it's an age. It's got hard stones, all ice. Take Mr. Freeze is known for his gimmicks, stones. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Batman doing that. In... <laughs> well, that's what we need. We need, we need a supervillain whose like, gimmick is just big rocks. Yeah. Yeah, all, all you have is, a, you know, for Mega Man, you have Guts Man who, who threw rocks. Yeah. <laughs> that takes guts or kid there were kidney stones <laughs> Oof. That's good. on that note uh, Alex what's your pitch of sequel alright so my pitch of sequel is um, it turns out there is an evil Ugg but Charlie didn't kill him mm. that was a clone <laughs> now Charlie gets into the ship he puts on his captain goggles Right. And he's cruising the cosmos, doing his thing, being a cool captain, being kind of goofy. Uh, but he keeps getting distress signals from other ships and ravaged by these creatures. And he assumes, well, it must be uh, some some derelict crits out there. So, you know, he explains to the crew that this is what him and his old pal Ugg used to do. So he keeps getting, they keep visiting all these different um, abandoned SOS ships and they, they just find these like heinous, you know, just splatters of gore and body parts and everything. And he thinks it's the reins of crits, but there are these little um, like kind of like clues, you know, like uh, like, uh, like seven, you know, like the like someone's trying to lead him on. And it turns out that Ugg, that the crits are extinct, but this evil Ugg has just become an intergalactic serial killer. And that he's been leading Charlie out to find him, to finally, uh, you know, have their ultimate confrontation. And, um, oh, that confrontation is had. So it's basically Hannibal in space, but with Critters as a backdrop. And it would be called um, Critters 5, Vengeance. And, of course, the Vengeance would be spelt with a Roman, Roman numeral V. <laughs> nice. And Thrasher. All right, so my uh, critter sequel, I love, I love Charlie being this, like, would-be badass, Captain Charlie McFadden. <laughs> so what's going to happen is he and Angela Bassett and the kid, they do fly the shuttle uh, to civilization, and the civilization specifically they, they travel to, turns out it is a planet settled by people who left Grover's Bend. Uh, and so, but on this, on this settlement, this outer space colony... He is essentially remembered as a folk hero. He is remembered by the by the people as like the biggest badass who ever lived, and they have a statue to him at the town square. And so, and he's like, when he shows up, well, you're the Charlie McFadden. They, like they worship him, they throw him feasts. It's really exciting. Um, and the whole time, he decides to keep acting like a badass because they they can't accept that he's like a bumbling hick. So the whole time, he's always looking stoic, wearing the glasses, and talking like this. Yes, I'm Captain Charlie McFadden, um, doing kind of a Shatner thing. And it's all fun and games until you learn the town's horrible secret. You see, these settlers from Grover's Bend, they still had the occasional critters problem uh, after Charlie left Earth, because he wasn't there to protect them. Um, and that's, in fact, why the moment spaceships became available, they left Grover's Bend to found Neo-Grover's Bend on this other planet. Um, well, when they left, they brought intentionally brought one critter's egg with them. Because they basically have their own version of Whacking Day, because they used to have to do these huge critter calls after Charlie left. Mm -hmm. So there's a day, there's a Charlie McFadden holiday, but as part of that holiday, 
they let the critter eggs hatch, and then the whole town, like, sl- like slaughters it. They all just surround it and and beat it to death. Um, and but after it lays another egg, so they have one for next year. And this has just been going on for generations, and it's taken on like all sorts of weird connotations. And now they're going to have the real Charlie McFadden actually participate, and they're really and they're really excited. Um, but of course, this time, due to possibly due to Charlie's bungling, uh, one of the critter egg, the, that critter escapes and starts to breed, and the whole town has to do with a real critter infestation, just like in the legends. So Charlie has to whip the town into shape, form them into a into an army. And uh, hunt down the last of the critters. Uh, and there will be some commentary on like animal abuse. Because I think that is just cruel to just beat a critter to death every generation. Um, despite all the damage they can do. So, you know, it, it ends with him finally again for the fifth time wiping out the last of the Krites. Hmm. Now, and, Will, this sounds like it could almost be a Western. Oh, no, it will very much be a straight-up Western. That'll be the type of space colony it is. The, the Western oh, type. They'll yeah. have horses. You know, it'll be generally low-tech. He'll use some old firearms. He'll probably become the sheriff at the end. Nice. Is there and a scene, to continue in the Western theme, where all the critters kind of uh, fuse together to form a, a horse made out of critters? <laughs> with with a little critter and a cowboy hat riding on top. I like that. Of course, yeah. yes. You, you... Yeah. And that'll with, be... With the... With a, a shotgun or something on it, yeah. And it'll be Critters 5 Homecoming. Get And then the tagline, <laughs> get ready for a home-cooked meal. Nice. Good. Oh, and then you could have the cowboy critter have a gun, a shotgun made out of critters that shoots critters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it shoots a bunch of their darts, which they forgot they could do in Critters 4. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, they have the porcupine dart stuff. All right. Ooh. So... On to what you're watching. I guess I'll start with that. I um, was flipping through, felt like been kind of in a Stephen King mood lately, and so I watched the first episode of a uh, a mini series Stephen King has been trying to get made for for some time. L- Lisey's story. It's on uh, the Apple uh, TV uh, Plus, uh, whatever it's called, the premium service, and it's. Like the book, it's adapted by Stephen King, which he doesn't do all the time as much as he did in the 90s for the miniseries stuff. And it's, um, I, I think one of the, the casting is is not that great. I mean, so what it's about is, uh, and either of you read the book? Uh, no, okay. I have not. It's it's one of his, more re- by more recent, I guess, I mean, in the past 10 years. But he, he went and um, did... What am I trying to say? Oh, right. So the story is about one of the main characters is an author, big surprise, who who gets murdered by a fan at a kind of book signing event. And his wife is kind of going, picking up the pieces, and she gets contacted by her dead husband. And her dead husband uh, used to go to an alternate dimension. And so she has to kind of pick up these clues in this alternate dimension that has monsters and all these crazy things in it. And... um he also has the ability he also had the ability to spew water from his mouth into someone else's mouth to heal them it's pretty um strange for for stephen king you know it's part of like a elegiac romance and has science fiction elements and kind of fantasy elements it's kind of a, a hodgepodge of some of his themes um the pacing's kind of slow so far but as the main author they have clive owen who i think is just a bit Land like his accent's okay, but he does. I it's someone where I look at him and I'm like, I don't believe this guy's a writer. Uh, Julianne Moore is the lead as the widow and uh, Lisi, and, and and she's actually pretty good, she's really given a lot to do. But I, I'll keep watching it just because I like Stephen King, I haven't read the book either. But it's, um, I, I do wonder why Stephen King is routinely saying this is one of the best things he's ever written. Hmm. I, I like the Clive Owen Julian Moore connection because they have really good chemistry, a la Children of Men. Oh, right! I forgot about that. Yeah, that's. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's kind of a slow build. I'll see what I think of it. I don't think uh, Evander will want to watch more of it, but. Um, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, Thrasher, what's uh, what are you watching? 
So I, uh, again, going back into space, I went back and watched 1989's Arena, which was kind of a staple of a lot of cable stations for a while. Uh, it, it is essentially Rocky as a sci-fi movie with <laughs> a bunch of bonkers aliens. And the whole, like, the titular arena, so there's the space station, and what it's known for is that they have these fights between alien alien boxers, and they broadcast them all over the galaxy. And no human has been a champion or even competed in like ye- in decades. And so this muscle muscly short order cook, who beats up some goons he gets seen doing that and ends up kind of becoming a prize fighter in the arena and eventually works his way up to fighting Horn, the champ, who's like this big cybernetic demon alien. And there's a whole plot involving like the mob trying to rig the game. And it has a fast and it's a lot loaded with practical effects. The monster designs are bonkers and great. Uh, but the, so I got to talk about the cast cause the cast is amazing. Uh, so Claudia Christian who played Commander Ivanova on Babylon 5. She plays Quinn. She becomes the human's manager. She runs a fighting ring. She uh, runs one of the the fighting rings. Um, Armin Shimmerman, who played Quark on Deep Space Nine, he plays Weasel, this, like, rat alien who is the enforcer for the big... who's, like, an enforcer for the big mob alien. Um, The... Uh, most of the aliens, and specifically Horn, are voiced by Frank Welker doing his various monster voices. Um, and I suspect a lot of his lines were improvised, because there's a couple of scenes where he seems to just be making up words to fit into the costume's random mouth flaps. But the real standout character, or the real standout actor, is Hamilton Camp. Hamilton Camp plays Shorty, a four-armed alien, and their four-armed special effect is pretty good, even though it's clearly somebody standing behind him, thrusting an extra set of arms through his robes. But Hamilton Camp... Uh, did a lot of voice acting in the 80s and 90s. He was on a pup named Scooby-Doo. He was on the Smurfs. Um, he he was the original voice of Gizmo Duck on DuckTales. He does an amazing job as the uh, as the human fighter's manager. It's called um, Arena? It's called Arena. Uh, came out in 1989. It is available for free on Tubi, uh, and it's probably available on a few other services as well. Like it's just, gr- it's like it's a simple story, but executed with so much flair. Awesome. I love all the weird stuff that's popping up on Tubi and uh, IMDb TV, and the um, uh, Pluto is the other one. A lot of oh, interesting yeah, stuff. Some cool shit. And uh, Alex. Um, so you're going to probably think that, like, they are giving me money and promoting this thing so much. They're not. But I am still just rolling around in this treasure trove known as the Eurocrypt of Christopher Lee set that I got. Um, and in it, you have, there's a series called the Theater Macabre. It was a, um, I believe, a Polish-produced anthology horror series uh, hosted by Christopher Lee. Um, he's not in any of the episodes, as far as I know, but he hosts them. So you get Christopher Lee, like, you know, sitting in a chair, smoking a pipe, fucking, you know, spinning a globe or like hooked up to like a torture device, you know. And like there's a lot of the stories are based off of like, you know, all these different great authors like Robert Louis Stevenson, Dostoevsky, Edgar Allan Poe, fucking um, Tolstoy, not Leo, the uh, VL Tolstoy, Tolstoy, I don't know who the hell that is, but um and some guest directing spots from like these great Polish directors like uh, Andre Zalowski who did Possession, you know, the Sam Neill and um Isabel Jani. Um Andre Vaita who did the Ashes and Diamonds and those like really cool political war films. Um and uh yeah, really wild stuff. Some of them are kind of stupid. Um and some of them you get some really cool gothic imagery, some good vampire lore, um it's a really interesting series, and of course they're 25 minutes of whack, so you can knock them out really quick. Um, but yeah, this is such a cool set, and this is basically like, you know, this aired once in like 1971 and on U.S. television, and it's like gone largely unseen since. Like, you know, Boris Karloff had Thriller, Alfred Hitchcock had Alfred Hitchcock Presents, like, so this is like Christopher Lee's anthology show that like no one's ever seen before. Um, so it's a really cool watch, a lot of fun. Neat. I mean, it, it's. I found a Christopher Lee thing on um, iTunes the other day, uh, looking through there, and they had 
uh, a him doing, I think it's an abridged version of um, Hunchback and Notre Dame and also Frankenstein as audiobooks. Oh, cool. And, and Christopher Lee could speak so many languages, so he actually, you know, he pronounces Frankenstein as like Frankenstein. Like, I, like he <laughs> does it, in, however, it's, you know, technically supposed to be pronounced. And uh, it's kind of like uh, Brad, Brad Dorff in a way. He was in a lot of crap. But he always committed to the part. He always brought his A game, totally. A game. There, there you go. Yep. There you go. And my cat is screaming, so that's a sign we need to wrap up the episode. <laughs> uh, next time, we're going to start off a new series. And this one's your pick, Alex. So why don't you talk about what we'll talk about next week? Um, so, like many people our age, I grew up uh, watching, rewatching, and obsessing over this little movie called The Shining. And then in 2018-2019, um, it was announced that they were actually going to make a film version of the sequel, Doctor Sleep. Um, I had my reservations about Doctor Sleep, and I have a lot of love for Stephen King's The Shining. And I also have feelings about the uh, subsequent miniseries that came out on uh, whichever network it came out on, uh, directed by Mick Garris. So we're going to dive into the um, the very complex grounds of the Overlook Hotel next time around with The Shining. Yeah, I'm actually going to try and get uh, Mick on the show. I talked to him on Twitter some, and his um, he has a really good podcast called Postmortem that's been around for a while. Oh, that would be it's, awesome. It's so great that we're finally going to do a movie that's about the Peloponnesian War. It's about damn time. Yes, and I, uh, you know, recently my family was in town and we went to the Overlook Hotel in Oregon, which is where they filmed the exteriors for yeah. the movie. And um, oddly enough, I thought they'd have a little Shining Museum in there. They don't, but they, huh. I did buy a Shining t-shirt at the gift store. Okay, cool. At least they have that. Yeah. But I, but if I were to own such a hotel, I would really uh, gimmick up the have a little museum and charge people money. Oh, I would totally lean into it too, without a doubt. Um, yeah. But I have a feeling this will probably be a very long episode, knowing us. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, The Shining was my first horror movie, and I saw it when I was six with my family. So, um, Thrasher, any quick uh, things? Uh, no, just that I'll have an elaborate chart to explain how the movie is really about the history of the Pel Peloponnesian Wars. And, uh, yes. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> it's also about the Native American plight. And Kubrick's face is totally in the sky. Um, <laughs> if you can, listeners, look on YouTube. I, I think someone uploaded it, but um, Stanley Kubrick's daughter did a documentary on the making of The Shining it was on some of the old DVDs. I don't know if it's still on on there as extras on the, on the newer Blu-ray and 4K versions. But um, it, it's maybe half an hour or so. But it's an excellent, pretty raw kind of fly in the wall documentary. If it's what you're if you're talking about, what I'm thinking of, I think it, it's still on the Blu-ray too. Or okay. you get some behind the scenes footage of like Jack Nicholson getting a character and he's like jogging in place with like holding the axe and be like, like yeah. doing his actor workout is so fun. It's so great. Yeah. And we'll talk about uh, poor Shelley Duvall being traumatized uh, doing the film. Yeah, it'll be a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about. So, oh yeah. On that happy note, um, for Sequelcast Two, uh, this is Matt. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at m a t w b t, and be sure to uh, leave a five star review for us on the Apple Podcast app. Um, you can get more episodes from SequelcastTwo.com. Uh. This is Thrasher. You can you can't follow me anywhere online right now, only because my social media is in flux. I'm going to be starting some accounts over from scratch for uh, both personal and professional reasons. Uh, so l listen to a future episode to find out my current uh, Twitter handle. Um, but our music is performed. Our theme music is performed by Mark with the C. You can check out his stuff at markwiththec.com. And Alex. Uh, you can follow me on the Twitter at CrabNebula1914. Also, drop by my YouTube channel, The Trailer Project. Um, got some cool new stuff up there, and I'm working on something right now. I don't even know what to how to describe it, but I know it's going to be cool. So, uh, tune in or stay tuned. Uh, for more, there's a lot of cool stuff coming.
Excellent. So, uh, very good. So, we'll be doing the Stephen King's uh, The Shining. We'll do the Kubrick version next week. I'll play Deeks Array on my uh, piano there for it. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, I mean, you know, now when I think about The Shining, I think of the kind of uh, meme the guy did where he did, with the AI, put Jim Carrey's face on top of Jack Nicholson. Ah! And when I rewatched it last several years ago, I see some Jim Carrey uh, elements in Jack Nicholson's performance. All righty then. So, first sequel cast two. This is Matt. This is Thrasher. This is Alex. Saying, be critters for. In about one month, we're all gonna glow.